Christian Onder is the CEO of Gubit AB, which owns and manages BTCX, a Bitcoin purchasing and exchange service in Europe. Christian, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Well, thank you, Jeff. Nice to be here. What is Gubit? Well, Gubit is a software company, uh, but we have specialized in uh, the blockchain technology. Um, most people are more uh, familiar with uh, Bitcoin, which is the currency that uh, the technology uses, basically. And so Gubit builds fintech applications on top of the blockchain. What are some example applications that you have built? Uh, well, basically what we're doing is mimicking the, the traditional financial system, but uh, on the, using on, on the blockchain. So we're building anything, everything from uh, basic exchange, buy and sell uh, uh, currencies, uh, to point of sale where you can go to a store and pay with Bitcoin, uh, and also uh, wallet features so you can store and, and send Bitcoin. Um, um, so basically everything in the traditional financial sector needs to be rebuilt. And that's basically what we're doing. So as an, as an example, let's touch on uh, the point of sale solution that you offer. There's a Bitcoin point of sale solution. Could you tell me anything about the engineering behind that? Uh, yeah, basically it's uh, it's HTML5 uh, so the, the store owner can just use it from any mobile device or computer as he wants. And uh, I'm not sure how deep in like programming language you guys are interesting to know. Uh, as deep as you're willing to go. <laughs> okay, I get it. Or uh, as shallow. <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't uh, built the application uh, myself. Uh, I have a team of uh, people doing it. And uh, I know for sure that the, the front is actually eight, uh, PHP, so it's really uh, quick to green and, and modify. And so from, from your perspective as the product designer sort of, or, or the, uh, the person that's managing the project, yeah. what is the spec? What are the requirements for that type of application? Yeah, I mean, it's always security. Um, when it comes to Bitcoin, everything needs to be secure. It's like building a bank, but better. Um, and uh, so this, the specs I gave, it has to be really secure. And then it also needs to be fast. When you pay in a store, I mean, you're competing with uh, Visa, which has a limit on, I don't know, three seconds per transaction. Uh, I know sometimes it takes longer, but we need to be below that. So my, my specs were this, for this app, I said one second per transaction. And, uh, and then they, they managed to build that. So, it's, so uh, and, and do you have security experts that you talk to that you say, this is, I, I need it to be secure. I don't exactly know what security means, uh, but, I know, but I trust you to impose security that is safe from the traditional uh, computer science attacks, or or do you have some background in security that that uh, you yourself can specify what things you're concerned about? Uh, I would say a little bit of both. I have no security background, but uh, I'm I'm trained in computing. I'm actually my background is uh, uh, quantum physics, and I also studied quantum computing at the university. Uh, so I I have a lot of knowledge in. In, in that, so I I go in and, and kind of look and come with proposals, and we have a dialogue basically. What are the typical uh, security concerns that a Bitcoin application has to be worried about? Um, it's the private key of of of, uh, of the Bitcoin. Uh, how to store it or how to um, uh, not store it. Um, and uh, I mean, that, that's the biggest question uh, we need to solve in, in each part of the application. Uh, I mean, when we're, we're taking, uh, when a customer pay Bitcoin in the point of sale, the Bitcoin goes to the first uh, yeah, address that we generate, and then we move it on and then we store it. So it, there's like three or four 
stages where uh, where the Bitcoin is, and all of the stages has have different secured aspects. Fascinating. Um, ha- has there been any like? Uh, actually, well, okay. Let's go. Let's let's talk about BTCX. Uh, yeah. What is what is BTCX? Yeah, BTCX is uh, an exchange, online exchange service. Um, basically, I, that one I built uh, completely myself. Um, we were quite early. We started in 2012. Uh, it was one of the first Bitcoin companies in Europe. And uh, I just wanted to, to see if there was an interest in buying Bitcoin. So I put up a, a, a page, basically, so I Hi guys, I'm selling Bitcoin. This is the price, uh, and here is you, what you pay. And uh, it took off pretty fast. Um, and um, today, it's uh, basically just an automated uh, way of build, uh, buying Bitcoins really fast. You, you, I think today you get it in 30 seconds if you're a Swedish customer. Yeah, this is actually like a really important solution because. I I was talking to Andreas Antonopoulos, and he was saying that the reason that more people don't buy Bitcoin, even just as like a speculative currency, is basically because it's really hard to buy still. Yeah, yeah, and and that's true. Um, we are. I mean, in Sweden, it's really simple because we have uh, almost everyone has a mobile payment system app. And and we're hooked up to that system. So you basically just take your, take your phone and you swish away 1,000 Swedish kroner and then you have your Bitcoins within 30 seconds. But uh, as soon as you come out outside of Sweden, it's, uh, it's up to each uh, country and, and the banks in that country what, what uh, the customer can use. How does a Bitcoin exchange connect to the rest of the Bitcoin world? Yeah, I think it's uh, different. Each exchange uh, has its own solution. Um, I mean, of course, uh, we use the classical Bitcoin core, Bitcoin daemon to to, uh, communicate with the Bitcoin network. Um, But then uh, running in a Bitcoin exchange is, is a central solution building uh, usually on, on top of the banking system. Uh, so, so I would say the, in, the integration to the Bitcoin network or the community is, is the easy part. And the banking system is the hard part. Right. Yeah, I watched a video where you said that like most of your work these days is dealing with compliance issues. Um, what is the difference between dealing with compliance issues of a conventional banking world versus uh, dealing with the day-to-day problems of uh, running an engineering company? Interesting question. Um, I, mean, I, uh, I could say that um, one of the biggest challenges we face is, uh, is to have a good uh, connection with a Swedish bank. Um, Mostly, they say that uh, it, it's because of compliance and stuff like that. Um, but I think they, they don't know how to handle Bitcoin itself. And, Wait, so uh, when you say good connection, do you mean like a reliable connection or like a... What exactly does, do you mean by connection? You need to know someone in the bank who can take your, uh, your side. Because I, in, I would say in every bank right now, they have a policy around virtual currencies. And as soon as they, I mean, higher up in the bank says, okay, we have a Bitcoin company, what to do? If no one is there to take your side, you will probably have your bank account closed. So it's good. You can have the bank as an investor. That, that is a very good way. Uh, or maybe you know someone in the bank or through a consultant services or or, um, or you just have a really good professional uh, uh, connection with, with someone uh, high up in the bank. That would also work. 
So let's say you have that connection. Mm-hmm. How let's say you you know the bank is invested in you uh, mm-hmm. as a, as a Bitcoin application developer. How what is the next step? How do you integrate with them engineering wise? Like what is the do they provide you with some sort of API or some sort of spec? Like here's how you integrate with us. Mm. Yeah, uh, in in uh, Sweden and Europe uh, we have this uh, system. It's called uh, Bank Giro Central, uh, which is a way how to handle payments across Europe. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's slow and uh, expensive, uh, but that that's one way to communicate. And then you what actually you do is you you set up a FTP server and you're sending um, payment files back and forth. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and the, and the specs are made from the 80s kind of. So it's uh uh it's primitive. Yeah. It's primitive. All my developers <laughs> they look at the specs and like what the fuck. <laughs> um so we 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 have that, but then we also have another solution and and since uh, not so many banks in Sweden are offering an API and there is actually one bank who is offering the API, but it's super expensive. So today we cannot afford it. So what we're doing, we're actually building a, a crawler app application. So we're actually crawling the, uh, we're logging into our internet bank and crawling and, and doing actions uh, like a web browser. Wait, um, okay. So could you describe that in more detail? That's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating, but it's it feels kind of ugly also. Well, basically, we do we simulate. Well, at a least web- you're transparent about it. <laughs> yeah, so we're simulating a web browser. So so we're uh, going in and do all the actions as we want to do in an API, but we do it in a a web browser script. Um, so it's actually running around the clock, um, going all through all through all our accounts once a minute and, and see if something is happening or if something is need to be done. Okay, so I'm confused. Like what do you, so you're crawling so it's like a user submits a request and then you have a crawler that crawls those requests and then you process them? Well for for taking an example, um, if a, a one of our users want to buy Bitcoin, they do a bank transaction and poof, we have a new transaction in our bank. And how do we know that? How do we know, know that the user had paid? Well, we have a, 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 yeah, I don't know if crawler is the right word, maybe spider or, ah, I don't know. But we, then, then this, yeah, let's call it crawler is logged into our internet bank and say, poof, ah, a new transaction, and then reads that transaction line, and then we know who has paid that money. So that's basically it. Fascinating. Okay, so what is, I mean, how does the, uh, actually, so many questions. Um, So a question (laughs) about, uh, like, what is the, what's the deal with, you mentioned an expensive API that actually works. Uh, What's the story behind that bank, and like, what is, what does that API look like in the best of breed scenario? Um, I haven't seen the API myself. I just heard about it. Uh, it's just better than FTP. <laughs> I, I hope. <laughs> um, but uh, basically, the, the, the bigger financial institutions in Sweden, they have access to that, that API. And I guess that you just get get all the information you need from all the transactions, or and you can make yeah, as you said, it's better than FTP, and uh, and probably it's also instant. The Bankiero Centralens FTP solution, all transactions take one bank day. And um, and by the way, uh, our new slogan is you can buy bitcoins in one bank minute. Uh, because we want to make fun out of the bank day uh, thing <laughs> we have uh, all over the world. It's just, I don't know, uh, old. Yeah, it is old. So what kind of transaction volume are you handling? Uh, on a, in a good month uh, in, uh, in Sweden, we have around uh, 3 million Swedish kroner. Uh, we have to check that up, what that is in, in, in dollars. Um, but I would say it's around 400 
thousand dollars. Did, did your transaction volume change with the recent Ethereum trading volume? And uh, no, it hasn't. Um, but huh. Ethereum, but uh, Ethereum is still quite unknown in in Sweden. Um, so it's. Uh, I think it will take some time before we we notice anything. Is that because like are most of your customers more Main Street type of type of people, and the people that might be influenced by Ethereum trading, those are are uh, people who who kind of have maybe more uh, more of a technical background, so they don't really have a need for the friendly uh, front like user facing API that you provide. Yeah, I think that's a good assumption. We, most of our customers are investors who think Bitcoin is a really interesting investing tool. Uh, and they, are, they might be technical, but they might not be. And then the other customer type we have is a consumer. They buy Bitcoin because they want to buy something online. And uh, neither of those two are, I mean, uh, Ethereum is not a use case for them yet. So you, you've described some of the aspects of your company and the engineering. What are the, like, what is it, describe to me what it's like to build a an, a company that does engineering around Bitcoin, because this is somewhat of a new idea, and the collision with uh, Main Street banks is mm. happening, uh, and it, it involves lots of interesting integration. So I'm just curious what the engineering process, the macro engineering process is like for you. Yeah, do, do you think uh, from the whole company or yes, or the technical? Uh... Whatever, whatever is interesting, whatever you think would surprise me, whatever would be useful, or maybe like maybe it's very similar to building, you know, a traditional finance technology company like Square. Maybe it has the mm. same kinds of issues. I don't, mm. I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, uh, from building the company, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun building a Bitcoin company, wherever I go, with whomever I talk, there is a reaction. Either it could be, oh, you will go to jail, or wow, that's awesome, I, uh, <laughs> I want to be, <laughs> be part of this. Um, and just recently I was in Almedalen, which is uh, the Sweden, uh, Sweden's biggest political event, and uh, John Matonis was there just a day before me and was talking about Bitcoin. And it basically what he did, I don't know what, what he said, but when I came there and said, I'm, I'm running a Bitcoin company, I was invited to all the mingles. I was invited to all the fancy parties and got drinks. And I had to talk everywhere with everyone. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, I mean, I, so people are really, uh, really waking up to, to Bitcoin and see its potential in the blockchain. And from that perspective, it's really interesting to, to build a, uh, yeah, a blockchain technology company. Because it, sounds, I, it, it sounds almost like in 2000, or well, not 2000, but like maybe like 1998 or 1999, where if you knew HTML, you got yeah. invited to all the cool parties in New York. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like that. Uh, but then uh, when you get home, you have a letter from the bank saying, Hello, uh, we won't have a meeting with you. <laughs> then you have to go to the bank, bring your basically bring your finance guys with you, and you have to answer tricky questions. And uh, you 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 ne really need to overprove the bank like three times, overprove them that there's no money laundering going on. And and that's another aspect. I mean, I, I've been being invited to the Swedish central bank. Uh, to a meeting uh, and uh, meet all the other financial institutions and, and the, the person from the central bank you think Bitcoin is, is also an interesting thing so all and all let's say all the other governmental uh, entities are also looking into Bitcoin so the, the, the central bank is inviting me to meetings and, and really good because then, then I can interact with all the other technology companies, uh, fin fintech uh, companies in Sweden. But then we have uh, like IRS, Skatteverket, who's dealing with tax frauds and stuff. They're also interesting in Bitcoin. And they're not so, when they come to, 
say hello, they're, they're not asking the nice question you want to hear. They're asking the, the, the yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Um, so I had a couple questions. Uh, so I'm curious, like, when the banks call you in and, mm. and I don't know, harass you or ask you about the money laundering, what is that process of diplomacy like, or, or like, what do you, what, what helps that process? Is, uh, is it important for you to have transparency? Is it important for you to have lots of documentation and transaction history that's heavily logged, or what? What are the important parts of that negotiation process? Yeah, transparency is the number one key. Um, if you're Isn't not that ironic? Because these banks are like historically non-transparent. Yeah, I think the bank wants to have the power. So they want to know everything about you without giving anything to you. And that's a classic power game. And uh, until I, I'm running my own bank, I, it's just uh, the way I need to play, <laughs> basically. Um, but not all banks are like that. So the smaller the banks, uh, the bank is, the, the nicer they are. And um, and then we have some uh, very Bitcoin-friendly banks. In Germany, you have Fedor Bank. Uh, in Sweden, you have a small, uh, it's actually a member-owned bank called Jakbanken, um, which, uh, which I actually the CEO of the bank came to me and we were discussing Bitcoin for hours and hours. Um, but then again, if you want to have a, a good way of doing your transaction, you need to have one of the bigger banks, at least in Sweden, because it's a, such a small country. So then you, uh, transparency and uh, all the documents regarding KYC and money laundry. Uh, and it's also good if you have like a, a financial expert with you so they can ask uh, question regarding finance of the company and, and and um, also to bring the bookkeeping of the company. You mentioned Fidor Bank. I think Fidor is uh, closely integrated with Ripple. Do you know if that's true? Good question. I know they're closely working with the Kraken. What's that? Uh, uh, Kraken. It's another Bitcoin. Oh, Kraken, right. Yeah. Uh, Ripple, I don't know. I don't is, know. Is, is there like this race to uh, to have the best currency uh, transaction system that uh, that can service the pre-existing banks? Because like these banks are like scrambling around, and they like have no idea what they're supposed to do with this cryptocurrency space. And there's like yeah. this race to be the uh, one size fits all bank uh, integration platform application because like uh you know having all the banks as your customer is like a pretty good business <laughs> yes yeah I, I was i would agree with that um that's i mean the, the, i i can just look at myself and that's what i'm thinking of <laughs> um so I, I am talking with the Swedish banks now and I, I am offering different solutions and, and we'll see what, what, what the, the, I mean, the, the, the tricky part is they, they don't know what they want and I don't know really what, what <laughs> I, I want to give them. So it's a, it's, it's a, I think it's a really explode, well, we're exploring uh, the, the scene, but then there are some... I mean, yes. it's also interesting because you are like you're like the point of arbitrage between customers, between your your users, your customers, the the people, but mm. also between the banks who are like their his, historic uh, strategies to screw over the customers as much as possible. So you you exist as an arbitrage between those two. Like presumably, <laughs> like the banks still want to maintain some component of screwing over their customers and. Yeah. The users presumably do not want to be screwed over, so you're yeah. like this dial between those two sides. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm giving the customers a really nice time, and then I'm getting screwed by the banks. And <laughs> <laughs> so that that's <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm getting paid for it. <laughs> yeah, but the, the I mean the 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 idea is to. Uh, 
to make it seamlessly to to go in and out between uh, cryptocurrencies and, and normal uh, traditional currencies and uh, our vision is also to have our own uh, bank alike system where you can pay your bills you can do your transactions you can have your savings and uh, it's not that far off of having that solution but for running that we really need to uh, partner up with a a bank who, who who likes us and our our ideas so what is the strategic roadmap there how do you say i know that my eventuality is that i want to become a bank uh mm. but while simultaneously realizing you need to partner with a bank in the meantime uh, I mean, are, is it is this sort of like you just constantly go for like the local maxima and then eventually you claw your way towards becoming a bank? Or what what is the strategy like? Um, right now, it would be to have a bank as an investor. And uh, the things we need to, to have a bank license for, we, we give to the bank. And the things we can do ourselves, like the crypto space, we, we, we do. And I think if we find the right bank, that would be a good division because then we don't need to do the, the banking stuff and they don't need to touch the crypto stuff. And then it's neatly separated in two different legal entities. Could you describe those sets of requirements that uh, that they would have to do versus what you would have to do, the, the crypto stuff versus the banking stuff? Um, I would say the exchange part would be on our hand. Um, between back and forth uh, currencies and then uh, when uh, when we're doing a transaction in the crypto space that would be ours because when a bank do a transaction they need to know 100 percent sure who is the sender and the receiver in a crypto transaction that's quite hard and uh, so so and that's easier for us because we don't really have that uh, requirement um, so, so how do you resolve that tension? Well, I haven't yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the million dollar question. Uh, Fascinating. Yeah. How, how yeah. do you think? How do you think about um, about Bitcoin versus Ripple and Stellar and Ethereum and these other these other currencies, these other platforms? Do you just basically say, uh, I'm just going to focus on Bitcoin because if I get Bitcoin right, I can probably figure out these other things? Mm, mm. Yes, that's a, that's a major um, question, actually. Um, I've been looking into Ripple for a very long time, and I think Ripple is a really cool system. And, uh, and, and Bitcoin is also a very cool system. Uh, and uh, now with Ethereum... Uh, really going live and uh, uh, it's uh, I, I, I could say that the, the strategy is not clear um, I think in the future we will have uh, all three of these systems for sure uh, but probably even more and uh, uh, the question is how when you run a company like I am, uh, it's good to be focused on one thing and do that good and then cooperate with other companies who's focusing on their thing and then um, have a strong uh, cooperation. Uh, so with a mind to that focus, is, is your focus Bitcoin? Like, are you just a laser lens focused on getting Bitcoin payment integration correct? <clears throat> yeah, uh, I am. That, that's the main focus. Uh, but hopefully, my uh, my goal is to get all that uh, Bitcoin um, payment transaction being more or less automated, uh, because it's possible just to make it a running machine and then have some uh, people uh, doing service and uh, and support. And I then- think it's vi- it's it's very clear that that is an attainable goal because it's sort of like we're in this time where it's like. Yeah, you have to uh, you have to connect all the little hooks into the the mail server, and it's mm-hmm. or, or like the TCP. Uh, you're like a TCP routing point. It's like that's not a business that needs to be high touch in the future. 
Mm-hmm. No, exactly. I think it's a, it's a good position to be in and have it um, automated and like a, it's it's becoming a good. Uh, we could call it a a money machine to re to. From that, we, we can build more applications and, and have a solid income. So when you have been looking at Ripple over the past couple of years and comparing it to Bitcoin, mm. um, and then maybe even if you've, if you've looked at Ethereum in detail, what are the, uh, the salient uh, comparisons between Bitcoin and Ripple or Bitcoin and Ethereum or Ethereum versus Ripple? I, I still think uh, Bitcoin will become a world currency currency. Uh, used currency like a world currency and ripple is a, a really interesting way of uh, decentralization of uh, yeah transaction between different things between currencies between uh, I, I was looking very much into uh, like how would the a decentralized stock market look like yeah it could be uh, ripple uh, fueling that system and so i think in the future ripple or ethereum might play a really important role of of bridging uh, all these thousands of cryptocurrencies we have when uh, probably we'll just have even more different systems with with ethereum now you you, you can just build your uh, script or your machine and uh, you can have more and more just automated and scripted and uh, it's uh, to connect all these uh, worlds. Is, is the future where everybody has their own currency? Like, am I going to have Jeff coin and you're going to have Christian coin and we're going to pay for stuff in our own self-issued currencies? We might have. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, it's... Uh, what would be the use case to have your own currency? Uh, it's uh, uh, I, I, it's it's not really clear for me. But I'm, I'm well. Quite... Presumably, presumably, if you're saying like it, it, the the current state of affairs is, oh, you need your own currency. You need a you know you need a U.S. currency in order to buy things in the United States. You need yeah. a German currency to buy things in Germany. Presumably, the uh, the absurd natural extrapolation to that is. Oh, if you want to buy stuff from Jeff, you need Jeff coin. If you want to buy stuff from Christian, you need Christian coin. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't think it will go that far. I, <laughs> <laughs> of course, it will. Uh, but, I, but I, I mean, it's probably already happening. Someone has it, his own coin of his own name. Um, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm not sure if it's... Uh, yeah, if the benefits like what are... If, what, if, what if Apple said, in order to buy an iPhone, you need Apple Coin, and you pay on Apple Pay, and the only way is, is, is through Apple Coin? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that might definitely happen. Uh, and I don't, I, I, I don't see it as a problem, really. Uh, it's just a... Then we need a system to hook all these coins together, and, and that will also happen. So I'd love to get your thought. You mentioned a decentralized stock market. I think the current markets are are weird stuff is happening right now. Like for example, mm. it's just you've got uh, you know all all these uh, startup unicorn companies. None of them are going public. So it's like, what's going on? Is are we having this movement towards private markets or some sort of gradient between private markets and public markets? Mm. Um, so and, and then so where does and then we have this uh, other segregated market of decentralized currencies, and it's like. What does the future look like? What is the you mentioned decentralized stock market? What does that look like to you? Mm. For me, it looks like uh, you are a farmer in uh, a country somewhere, and you're you're growing apples or or coffee beans or something, and uh, then you're just issuing like, oh, I have three tons of apple, and you're just issuing it on the on a decentralized market, and anyone can buy that. It's like a, a contract smart contract actually um, and in the end uh, the, someone is buying it and selling it and rebuying it and uh, going around the world and then we have the local grocery store here in Sweden like okay we need some apples oh look here we have a farmer from uh, faraway land who is selling uh, apples uh, okay perfect and they're buying that smart contract and then they cash it in 
Um, of course, when you cash it in, you need to have a a uh, contact with the with the issuer and a, a transportation made. Um, and that is also an area. I mean, uh, transportation. Um, the trans transportation system today is kind of uh, not decentralized, but uh, but it's kind of you're sending one thing to through several different trains or trucks. Yeah, and like the vision that you're portraying is like uh, you know this apple farmer has some apples he wants to sell, and he can just do it through some decentralized. Uh, marketplace and so instead of the current system where you know the people that have the power are like people that uh can create those contracts or the shipping container companies or the the uh the transportation companies you know the apple farmer has to comply with those companies Mm. whereas Mm. in the future it would more be more be like uh oh you've got to comply with the apple farmer Mm -hmm. yeah and maybe there is a uh, droid coming and picking up the apples Yes, and and maybe the droids are uh, maybe just put in like oh I want to have uh, ship this apple and I put like a transaction fee or zero point one bitcoin and then maybe no one is is interesting in that but then okay zero point twelve and then like oh a droid who wants some bitcoin to refuel its uh, batteries who is completely self sufficient. Uh, takes and ships the apples and then gets some Bitcoin and then it can... Uh, so main, so in the future we might also have AI running droids, uh, earning Bitcoin. I mean, it might be a completely AI-driven uh, droid who's taking over uh, some uh, work from transporter people. So, so some people listening right now might be saying, like, this is like techno-utopia vaporware insanity that these guys are talking about what are the biggest hurdles the biggest difficulties that the world needs to overcome in order to reach this sort of techno utopic uh you know apple farmer power to the people Mm. uh type of scenario Mm. um i think technology happens and uh it's uh it doesn't matter if you like it or not uh, if if it's being used, it will, um, and and if it gives a benefit, it will be used. Uh, and if a, uh, it's like when you had coins, when you have in Sweden, we actually had the biggest and heaviest coin in the world. We one copper coin with twenty one kilo something, and then someone said, okay, let's change the coin to a paper paper bill. And it was so popular because you didn't need to carry around all the things. You can just have, have a paper bill. And actually, uh, it was banned in Sweden for 50 years, paper bills, because the, the, the bank who gave the, the bill uh, misused the position and printed more bills than they actually had money, which is happening all over again with the banks today. But anyway, but uh, the people of Sweden still use the bill, even because even though it was banned. And uh, and the reason was it's uh, it, the benefits is bigger than the, the, the threat. And so the biggest hurdle, um, you can say it's time or you can say uh, the biggest hurdle is the, 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 the resistance uh, from the existing infrastructure infrastructure. Um, but that will always be overcome uh, for a, you, during a pa- period of time. Do you, I mean, do you worry at all about um, about more uh, like bigger, more existential, looming uh, threats? Like you know, uh, oh, Russia decides to launch a nuke or something, or like China's stock market collapses and that causes worldwide chaos, and that uh, uh, that destabilizes everything. So we can't actually get all this techno utopia stuff done. Does that mm. stuff bother you, or do you think that's uh, that's like chicken little uh, people being too scared type of talking? No, it's not bothering me, uh, and I'm not sure how real that threat actually is. Uh, I mean, Russia sending a nuke, uh, what would they gain by it? I mean, no, I, I don't mean specifically like yeah, Russia's going to send a nuke. I just mean <laughs> types of types of sociological, uh, political. 
um, existential threats to humanity that would impede us from actually being able to realize the utopia-type future promised by decentralized technology. Yeah, I, I, no and yes. I think what, what I'm fearing is uh, maybe, uh, um, maybe what we're seeing. I mean, internet, internet was an expression of freedom, but today it's an expression of surveillance. Uh, where you have uh, surveillance apps in in phones, uh, in computers, uh, everywhere, and and uh, so so then uh, today Bitcoin is freedom, but maybe tomorrow Bitcoin is super monitored by all the governments and and all the transactions are logged and and everyone knows who everyone is. Um, that might be a fear, and I mean also I'm a big fan of Matrix. That would also be a, a very sad, sad ending of the human storyline if we ended up as bad race in a matrix uh, simulation. Um, but I, I don't so, think I don't think uh, China or Russia or anything else is uh, that bad. So the matrix simulation the thing that's that's interesting. Like uh, I had Melanie Swan on here, and she was talking about blockchain, and she was mm. saying. She believes that uh, blockchain presents uh, technological solutions that are insurance against the type of AI concerns that Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk have. Do you agree with that? Interesting. I would really like to talk with her about that. I, I don't see how uh, blockchain would protect from that. Um, well, so the idea is, I think her basic idea, I haven't, she, she said she's written a lot about this, but I haven't read much about it. But my understanding is her basic idea is like um, the blockchain you can think of as, you know, you have to submit philosophical uh, perspectives to it. And if a malicious AI submitted a philosophical perspective that was in order to do the best for humans that we uh, need to do, we need to put them uh, into battery matrix type <laughs> of si situations, then other people on the blockchain would be like, Hell no, we don't want that. And also, we are we are uh, never trusting this uh, malicious AI node again. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Or maybe they start their own blockchain who's not available for us. That could also be a uh... right. See, that's true, and that's that's like uh, you know, I, I think her. You know, if if I'm in, uh, interpreting her her argument correctly, then it's like, well, I think that presumes that the humans can somehow outthink these malicious AI that have side-chained or whatever, uh, which is probably wrong, but then again, maybe it'll be good to be in the Matrix, and so who knows? I don't know. That's, that's, that's a little too far-flung, so let's go back to reality. So yeah. conventional, conventional stock markets have yeah. lots of players. Um, you know, you've got individual traders, you've got market makers, hedge funds. This is like the traditional Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch type of world. Um, so how does that differ from uh, the types of players that you see in the Bitcoin exchange world? What I see in the Bitcoin exchange world is uh, they are mimicking the traditional uh, services. I think uh, mostly because the, the, the services that we already have are good and uh, we also need them in the crypto space. Um, what I'm also seeing is like the OMX, the stock exchange in, in Stockholm, they are really interested in, in the blockchain and uh, how to issue uh, stocks, virtual stocks, and how to just put them out in a decentralized marketplace. Um, so I think uh, Stockholm Stock Exchange will uh, definitely go that way. Um, or uh, acquire some companies who are doing it. Um, yeah. So I watched an interview where you said, quote, we live in a democratic world, but finance is less democratic. You cannot choose your currency, end quote. Why is currency choice so important to the individual? Um, yeah. This is, uh, I would say this is also a very ideological question. Uh, but also, depending on what country you grew up in and what government you have, 
uh, basically the government decides your currency. And if it's a good government with a good uh, bank, then we're all fine and dandy. But then there's also uh, this question in, in Sweden, which is a good government and we have a good uh, central bank and uh, stuff like that, but you still don't have any choice over your currency. Uh, like Riksbank and the Swedish Riksbank, they, they, they uh, printed up tons of money to lend to Greece a few years back. And there's basically nothing you can do about it. It's, it's like, like the Swedish government is taking maybe not your money, but the value of your money and playing with it. And uh, as a citizen, I think it's, uh, it's fair to have a, a choice to put, uh, to have money where, where not someone else is gambling with its value. And uh, basically the only money where <laughs> I actually I don't know any money that 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 is possible today, uh, but uh, it's I think it's good to to explore that and and to have more more currencies and maybe that's is yeah m maybe that's why you should have your own currency also because then no one else is uh, controlling it than you. What is at the intersection of actually you know what that brings up an interesting question so. So let's let's imagine this world where we all start uh, it creating our own currencies. Um, do you think this could lead to such a chaotic uh, financial system that uh, you know it would be hard to get stuff done? No, 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 no. We, we just have, I mean, it's like the internet. You don't monitor the TCP/IP packets. You just open Skype or Chrome and you send information in PDF files. What's happening beneath? You don't need to worry about, and it will be the same with currencies. You you are sending value, and it might pass through thousands of different currencies on the way, and it uh, really doesn't matter. What is at the intersection of uh, blockchain technology and taxation? <laughs> All right, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, tax money is. Uh, is everyone's money, uh, at least in that country. And uh, they should be uh, trackable, uh, transparable, transpar transparent. And, um, and so for, for, the, for the government to use a blockchain for all tax money and all spending, uh, that would be a very uh, a good choice. How would tax systems work in your ideal world? That's also a very good question. I I have some thoughts uh, about that. Um, uh, what are your most revolutionary thoughts? <laughs> yeah, my yeah, that would be um, yeah. Before I, I began with Bitcoin, and and uh, I also have this party called Bitcoin party. Before all that, I was in a, a party called Liquid Democracy, um, also in Sweden. And uh, basically, all decisions is being, which is being made by the government, uh, you have the say in that. You can go in and have a vote on, on each specific question, area or, or, uh, or, ah, or bigger. And uh, I would say one really interesting, I, would, I, I, I go with interesting uh, way to have a, a tax society is that you, um, you vote on whatever, each question, and you can also put money into it. So it's like uh, the tax system becomes like a crowdfunding event. Oh, we want to build a new school. Um, okay, you have the tax money, but you can also add money to the school. Uh, so maybe 50% of your tax is just reserved. Or why, why not say 100% of the tax is reserved? So you, you have to pay it, but you, have to, you can choose yourself what to put it on. Oh, new streetlights, oh, new school, uh, no lower tax over here, or whatever. 
that would be a really interesting world to live in to see how that would be because then we, basically you put all the power uh, down at the people people's level and the polit uh, politicians are just executing the will of the people so there's no hidden agenda um, yes i completely agree so to begin to close off um what is on the roadmap for gubit and how can an engineer listening to this uh, if he wants to come and work at Gubit, uh, mm. how can he get involved? Uh, what are the opportunities there? Well, we have many opportunities. We, um, we run different platforms. Basically, we say to our engineer, we, have a, uh, we want a solution, we have a problem, and uh, we want to build this. And then the engineer can choose his own technical solution. So all, all engineers has their own uh, set of microservers where they can choose their own technology and everything is communicating with APIs. Um, and um, yeah, today we have different angles we want to explore, of course. Uh, so a good way to start is just to contribute to one of our projects and just email us and see what's going on. Um, we have some open source projects and we have some uh, bug bounty projects and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Fantastic. That's, that sounds great. Well, yeah. Christian Ander, thank you so much for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been a really fascinating, enlightening conversation. Yes. So thank you, Jeff.